Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. at the implications and the consequences of what it means from Genesis to Revelation for us to be in this marriage covenant with God, the bride and the bridegroom. And um, if you missed the, I would say, any message in this series starting a couple weeks ago, but a couple weeks ago as we walked through scripture from the beginning to the end creating a grid of how we can see ourselves, our intimacy and our identity as the bride of Christ, I would just strongly urge you to go back and listen so that you have this context and this this filter to be seeing everything in our lives through because it's so, so important. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth. There's no, uh, there's like no more authority. There's like no authority left to go around. <laughs> All authority in heaven and on earth. That's like everything, all of it. Jesus claims to have all authority and it has been given to him. And there's no place that authority exists that he does not have. And so he says, he says this, he says, here's what I want you to do. And really what what he's saying is this in Matthew 28. He's saying, as you are going, make Disciples, as you are baptizing, make disciples. As you are teaching, make disciples. You see, we are completely capable of going and not making disciples. We are completely, we're even capable in church to baptize and not make disciples. It is possible and it's been done for for decades to teach and not actually be making disciples. And so Jesus says, look, this is what I'm asking of you. This is what I'm calling you to do is as you are going, make disciples, as you're baptizing, making disciples, make disciples, as you are teaching, make disciples. And, and if I've learned anything in the last couple of years, it's that discipleship is really, really hard and really costly. And it is not bound to meeting once a week with a person or a group of people and studying something. It is life on life. It, is, it costs us our life. It requires our life. And, and, and so disciple, discipleship is so hard. And so, so disciples are those who love and they obey Jesus. But how can, how can we do this? How can we obey what Jesus has called us to do? How do we carry out that job of making disciples? It really is like an impossible task. So in Acts chapter one, Jesus says this. 
disciples ask him a question. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. Remember, that is marriage language. That is the father who's the only one who knows the day and the time and the hour of the wedding. The bridegroom is preparing and the bride is preparing but only the father knows. And he says, it's not for you to know what the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's how we make disciples. You and I cannot make disciples apart from the power of the Holy Spirit that makes us witnesses in, in, in our local area and wherever we travel all the way to the ends of the earth. That's how we make disciples through the power and the dependence upon the Holy Spirit. There is no other way. It's, it's kind of like, in, you know, in this time as Jesus, the King Bridegroom, is preparing a place to take us to as we prepare, are prepared for his return, as we, as we are being purified. It's kind of like the Holy Spirit in this time for the bride is the, is the bridal attendant with us all the time, making sure we're ready. And so as we've been walking through this, we've been walking through what what it looks like for us to be preparing for the Lord's return for the bridegroom king and be purified. And it is absolutely the role of the Holy Spirit coming out of Jesus' mouth himself that is the Holy Spirit who does this work in us. And last week we talked about the Holy Spirit, this paraclete, that, that's this word that Jesus uses to describe the Spirit that is so broad and vast and kind of difficult to contain. We talked about the Holy Spirit being the advocate and how he advocates for truth about God, about us, about reality. And, and, and this week we're actually unpack what it means that the Holy Spirit is the counselor and how he counsels us towards obedience. And then next week we'll, we'll finish with talking about the Holy Spirit as the comforter who brings peace. The thing that we need to understand as we think about the Holy Spirit as counselor is that we, we might have an errant view or understanding of what a counselor does because if you go to a counselor, I've gone to a counselor before, and if you or I go to a counselor with the intent that that counselor is going to make me feel good and affirm everything I think, and that's what you're looking for and that's what you want, then you're wasting your money and your time. <laughs> because that's not what a good counselor does. A good counselor will not just affirm everything that you think and make you feel good about everything, but what they will do is they will counsel you toward truth and toward obedience. Counseling is not just gathering information, it is gathering information and knowledge to a specific end of obedience. And that's how the Holy Spirit is a counselor. He counsels us Toward, toward obedience in our lives. He doesn't just bring things to us for us to kind of file away, but he brings things to us so that we might obey and he empowers us. 
It's interesting because in, in, the, in the passage where Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit and the helper being given to us by God the Father, it is in, in John chapter 14 through 16, it's all about the Holy Spirit. And, and the other theme that's going on in those chapters has to do with love and obedience. Our love and obedience is intrinsically linked to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and so in John chapter 14 and in, in, in verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, and this is after he's talked about the Holy Spirit, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In verse 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Jesus makes it super clear that if you love him, there will be resulting obedience. You see, we are God's treasure. We are his beloved. We are the longing and desire of the bridegroom. And what's amazing, that's just shocking as it is, but in the same way that we are the treasure of Jesus, we are to treasure him above all else. You see, genuine obedience flows out of a heart of love for Jesus, the bridegroom. Genuine obedience flows out of the love that we have for the one who our affections and our desire and our hope is set upon. And so how does the Holy Spirit counsel us? Jesus says in John 14, 26, he says, but the helper, the paraclete, the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So what we need to understand in what Jesus is saying here is these aren't two separate ideas, teaching and remembering, but it is together, it's one thought. It's that, it's that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things that Jesus said, and he will help you remember all things that Jesus said. The Holy Spirit, and I want us to understand this because it is so easy for us to kind of go to an extreme, either ignore the Holy Spirit or decide to not engage him because of perceived or real abuse of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit counsels, he gives advice or gives direction always towards obeying the word of God and the teachings of Jesus. He instructs the bride and leads us to follow, obey God's will. That means he gives us access to God. He gives us God's plans and he gives us God's wisdom. And implicit in this idea of teaching us and reminding us is application and action, not only information acquisition. We aren't loving Jesus, if we are only acquiring information and filing it away, we are loving Jesus if we are taking that information and obeying 
That's how we love Jesus. You see, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, simply continues the revelation of Jesus, not by providing new teaching, but only teaching what Jesus himself taught to a deeper level of understanding and obedience in our lives. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't reveal new things and different things. He, he teaches and reminds us of what Jesus taught, what Jesus said, and then he takes it to a deeper level of understanding in our lives and brings us to a place of obedience. That's how the counselor works in our lives. Obedience is this thing that the counselor points us toward. That's his job. That's how he moves us. But you see, there, there is a difference between me obeying and depending on myself and me obeying depending on the spirit. There's a difference between obedience and spirit-powered, spirit-required uh, spirit obedience. That dependent obedience on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, the Bible reinforces so much that our lives, once in Christ, is, is dependent on the Spirit moving and working with us and in us, and us moving with the Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5. There's, there's a handful of uh, verses. In verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's so easy for us to say, I'm just gonna try real hard not to gratify the desires of the flesh. No, he says, the only way you're gonna do that, the obedience I am calling you toward is that you walk by the Spirit, not by your flesh, not by your own resolute uh, power, but walk by the Spirit. He says in, in verse 22, he says, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then in verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We live by the Spirit, then walk with, keep in step. Every step I take must be Spirit-dependent and Spirit-empowered. And then, and then Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons and daughters. But by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the counselor moves us to obey as children of God, as the people of God. And then finally, if that's not enough, Paul says in Galatians chapter three, verse three, he says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, having received salvation through faith in Christ Jesus alone, through the power of the Holy Spirit, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? How foolish would it be to think that the Spirit is the one who moves us into salvation, and then we figure it out the rest of our lives, and we work under our own power and our own authority. He says that is the most foolish thing you can possibly think, but we do that, don't we? 
We often think that there's things that we can handle and deal with without walking in the spirit. And it's like God gives us salvation and then we're like, God, I have it from here. And Paul says, that is foolishness. And so how does, what does the spirit do? How does he bring us to a place of, of obedience? Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 17. Paul writes this. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Here's, here's what we need to understand. Being transformed into Christ's image is part of how we are being purified to be presented to the bridegroom king. And this being transformed is another way of describing obedience. And what Paul says here, what he identifies is that we are transformed not by being good moral people, not by laddering up to a set of ethical beliefs, not by our goodness or our badness, but he says that we are transformed into Christ's image by beholding the glory of the Lord, by gazing on Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we are beholding God's glory, that we are seeing God's glory, that we are being, that his glory is being made manifest, revealed to us, and we see him as much as we can see him as he is. And that is what transforms us. And the Holy Spirit enables us to behold the glory of God. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will make manifest to you God's glory. And then Paul says, then you, as you are are confronted by the glory of God from one degree of glory to another, that we put on the glory of God. Jesus says in his high priestly prayer, he says, God, you've given me your glory and I give them this glory. And so we are invited into the glory of God and somehow we then reflect and contain God's glory as he transforms us, as the spirit brings us to a place of obedience. And so how is it that the beholding Jesus, seeing him, gazing upon him, him being made manifest to us, how does that result in obedience? Paul, Paul gives us a clue in, in Philippians 3.8. He says, indeed, and this is, this is the idea of him seeing Jesus. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Here's the truth, whether we want to accept it or not, is that when we see Jesus as he is, as we comprehend his glory, as we, as, as we behold him, as we gaze into his face, fix our eyes on him, what will happen is we will we will understand what is valuable and what is not. And Paul says, there is nothing that I can have or do that is worth the unsurpassable worth of Jesus himself. He says, I would throw everything away as rubbish 
in order that I can gain any more of Christ as possible. Paul says, there is nothing that I can, can comprehend to hold back that would somehow keep me from knowing fully Jesus because he is the hands down unarguable treasure that that will satisfy and complete my life. And, and, And so this confrontation and exposure to the glory of Jesus, his all surpassing worth results in a willingness to give up everything else for more of him. But so many things in our lives are so attractive because we set our gaze and we behold those things rather than we are laser focused on beholding Jesus, the Savior, the King, Bridegroom. When we see Jesus clearly and experience him as King, Bridegroom, we will obey because of a couple different reasons. There's probably a lot of reasons, but a couple of those reasons are one is this, that when we see him clearly and experience him as king and bridegroom, our hearts won't be so drawn to sin because we are so satisfied in Christ. That's why we do things that we do because we are looking to be satisfied. And even though we know, even if we lie about it, we know that nothing will ever completely satisfy us but Jesus will. Jeremiah the prophet says this in Jeremiah 2. He says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. They've stopped gazing onto my face, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. They have dug their own wells to their own satisfaction and they have found that these are broken, empty wells that do not satisfy. But when we see Jesus for who he is and love him for who he is, we will, know, we will not be as easily drawn into those empty cisterns that do not satisfy. Second thing is this, that our hearts will want to obey to experience deeper intimacy with Jesus. That's what Paul says. He says, now that I know him, that I've seen him, that I've beheld him, I I can give everything up. Because I know, because I want every piece of him. I want deeper intimacy with him. See, here's the thing. We, We talk about spirit filling. We know that when we receive salvation, that the Spirit indwells us, and that is a guarantee of our inheritance and our salvation. But filling ebbs and flows. Sometimes we're more full of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we're not. Here's the thing. If you're not obeying, then you're not filled with the Spirit. Why would I say that? If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is it who loves me. 
He will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. When we do not obey the teaching that we know of Jesus and when we are not in obedience, we are not full of the Spirit. We are full of something else. You see, the key to a spirit-filled life is to love Jesus and out of that, obey Jesus. It is intimacy and faithfulness. And remember, those are marriage covenant terms because he is our bridegroom. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, that the key to living a faithful life before Christ is to sit and behold him. Jesus himself said that when he was teaching in a home in Bethany and Mary was sitting at his feet and everybody was offended for various reasons and Jesus says she's chosen what is best because I think Mary somehow felt in some way that all she needs to do is behold Jesus, to gaze in his face, and that will transform her, and that will bring her to a place of obedience. So how does this work out? Moses, even saying this morning about Moses, Moses, I would say, of anyone else in the entire Bible, saw and experienced and participated in God's power more than anyone else. If you read scripture, Moses, from the moment that he saw the burning bush to the plagues of Egypt that he had a part, a part in, to the parting of the Red Sea, to the miracles throughout the desert, all of these things that God did, I would say Moses except for maybe Jesus, because Jesus is God in flesh, but Moses, more than any other person in the Bible, experienced and participated in God's power, hands down. But in the midst of what Moses saw God do and what God did for him, that was not what his heart desired. Exodus 33 Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom I will, you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people and God said to him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other peoples on the face of the earth? And then the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And then Moses says this, a guy who's seen God's power unleashed 
please show me your glory. Show me your glory. Let me behold you. Let me gaze upon your face. And that will be enough. Beholding the glory of God is greater than watching God part a sea. It's greater than watching God rain down judgment through plagues. It's greater than seeing God and hearing him in a bush that doesn't burn up. It's greater than God providing food for, for 40 years just randomly for us. Greater than all of those things is to behold the glory of God. And that results in loving God and obeying what he's called us to do. More than what God could do, Moses longed to see God's face. When our quest to know God, to know who God is becomes more important than, to you than what, what God can do for you, that is the point when God's heart has become your promised land, your home, and your treasure. In Psalm 27, David says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Why? Why is David so confident? Because he's asked the Lord one thing, to blot out and destroy my enemies. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David says one thing. And David had a lot of enemies and surround, was surrounded a lot of his life. He said, the one thing I ask God is that I can gaze upon your face and that's enough. I'm going to ask Shane and Michaela to come back up. See, when we truly know and see Jesus, we love him and we obey him, and the Holy Spirit counsels us toward that obedience. You will not successfully obey Jesus if you are not walking and living in the power of the Holy Spirit every single day, every single minute. The Holy Spirit as counselor is constantly guiding us to obey everything that Jesus said. And in turn, we then are able to model and bring people toward him. Jesus said, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. What will we be witnesses of? We will be witnesses to the power of God in our lives to be obedient to everything that God said. Jesus, I ask right now that as we respond to you, that we would give up trying to fix ourselves and obey and be successful in our own ability. Holy Spirit, I pray that we will receive your counsel with joy and anticipation so that we would obey what you 
direct us toward. That we would obey everything that Jesus taught and you would remind us of everything that Jesus taught. So that we as your bride, Jesus, would be ready for you to come for us. That we would be in a place of being being purified and purified so that we could be presented to you uh, washed and clean without blemish and perfect. That you would take us unto yourself and that we could live with you forever. The desire and longing and, 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 and treasure of our hearts. So Holy Spirit, help us to see, to behold, to gaze upon, to see the glory of God. As Moses asked, as David asked, as Paul desired, that we would see you and that would be enough to satisfy and that we would live lives that are fully sold out and fully committed, and fully surrendered to you, Jesus, because you are worth it. Come, Lord Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.